0: And so we're going to jump into this uh, prophetic teaching that you need to avoid at all costs for sure, especially as we're crossing over into a new year very soon. You want to set yourself in position for God's blessing. Uh, and so I want you to get ready for this. Before we do it, take a minute to share the broadcast. Let us know where you're watching from in the comments. Let's pray and get started. This is going to be a good one right here. I've got this in my spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, open the heart of every man and woman. Give them understanding. Let them Understand what we are teaching today and what you're saying to your people. As your word says, let everyone that has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in Jesus' name. Don't let us miss the truth of your word, the revelation of your word, but let it build our faith. Let it build us up in strength and set us in position for victory in this new year. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and give you praise. Amen. 28 degrees in New Hampshire. It's insane. It's insane. I love the fall. I'm not a massive fan of the winter. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. If you've got your Bible today, this is going to be uh, very important. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to get started today. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And again, I'm talking about the topic today, a prophetic teaching that you need to avoid at all costs. A prophetic teaching that you need to avoid at all costs. Uh, to keep yourself in position for God's blessing in uh, 2020 and throughout the rest of your life. Uh, but this is something the reason I call it a prophetic teaching. it's not that it's teaching on the prophetic, but it's that it was prophesied that it would be taught and preached. So I want to get that straight in the beginning. It's not a, a teaching on the prophetic. it's a teaching that was prophesied that would come that would come into the body of Christ. And it's already here and it's been here for you know, a couple thousand years. And I want to show it to you though because it's becoming hugely popular. And uh, I want to show you what Paul said about it. And then I'll take you to the book of Jude. And then I'll take you to Revelation and show you what Jesus said uh, in regards to this. Listen to this. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Those of you that are watching, you can pop the scriptures up on the screen as we're going. But this is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, and um, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Listen to this. Now, Paul, here's the background. Paul is writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, and he's encouraging him and warning him and also giving him certain instructions for the future. And this is what he says to him. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by, uh, by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Listen to these three words right here. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. With complete patience... And teaching. For the time is coming where people will not endure sound doctrine. Now, I'm gonna come back to that sound teaching, but have itching ears. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Look at verse 4 and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's such a heavy collection of verses right there. This is a, a seriously damaging thing that Paul's warning Timothy about because Timothy uh, was in charge of believers as a pastor. So Paul's giving him, as an apostle, Paul's giving him instructions to keep those people safe. But look what he says. I want to walk through this. Well, In, in just four verses, Paul said so much to him that I want you to catch this. It's so important you get it. Number one, this is what he said. The first thing he encouraged him is preach the word and be ready at all times, in season and out of season. But look how he told him to do it. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To exhort or encourage somebody is one thing, but look at this, he's also supposed to be reproving and rebuking Christians. That's not something that you will see in the seeker-sensitive culture of church in, in, in Western, you know, Christianity today, you're not going to see that in America, in in seeker sensitive situations and these these churches that have uh, kind of set themselves up for you know stimulated church growth. It's not something you see happen. You don't see um, people being reproved, and you don't see people being rebuked. Well, why? Well, that would keep people away. You know, people don't want to come to church to be rebuked. And and I agree that you're not supposed to be rebuking people in every single service. There should be encouragement when people come to church. However, people do need to be instructed and people do need to be rebuked. Sin needs to be rebuked and also reproved. But look how he said it, with all complete patience and teaching. So let let me show you something here that's, that's so powerful. Paul's teaching Timothy that as you deal with people that are out of line, don't just harshly rebuke them and leave it at that. He said rebuke them with patience, meaning I know you're being sanctified and becoming more like Jesus. Rebuke them with patience, but also, catch this, because it's so important that you catch it. He said also with teaching. You see that? So as you're rebuking, make sure that there is teaching going along with your rebuking because if you don't teach somebody uh if you're not teaching them while you're rebuking them I'm trying to think of the best way to say it it just causes frustration if you're not teaching someone as you're rebuking them Kelly's asking, what does reprove mean? It just means to reprimand someone, just to reprimand them. You know, yeah, that's crazy. Marie said, I heard a message where the minister said the Holy Spirit doesn't rebuke. Well, that's crazy because here the Holy Spirit is leading the Apostle Paul to tell Timothy specifically to rebuke. And it is something the Holy Spirit does. <clears throat> we need, There needs to be rebu- rebukes and reproval. reproving is just reprimanding someone. Why? For missing the mark. Love you, James. And so understand this. Paul's encouraging Timothy. Don't just allow the believers to be exhorted all the time. Make sure everybody's staying on line with what Jesus wants for their life. That's where the blessing is. Let's go further. Now, this is a very specific type of teaching that Paul's telling Timothy to engage in with the church. Make sure you exhort them, but make sure that you reprove them and make sure that you rebuke them as well. Why? To keep them in the blessing of God. Go further. For the time is coming. This is why he's telling him to do this. This is why. So look at this in context. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Sound. Now look at this. The word sound here. People don't know what does it mean? Sound doctrine, sound teaching. In the footnote here in the Greek language, the word sound could also be translated healthy teaching. Healthy teaching. Healthy doctrine. So catch this, Paul's saying that when you remove rebuking, reproval, and ex- exhortation, then what ends up happening is that your teaching becomes unhealthy for the body of Christ. You see that? Webster's, to scold or correct, usually gently with a with kindly intent for reprove. That's the, the definition from Webster. To scold or correct, usually re- gently or with kindly intent. Brittany, put up rebuke because I guarantee you rebuke is a heavier a heavier definition than reprove. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So understand this. It's, it's very interesting that he said there's a time coming. So that he's prophesying now. Paul's prophesying. There's a time coming where people will not endure healthy teaching. And what he's saying is the healthy way of doing it is not just giving them, "You're doing great, you're wonderful," encouraging them, exhorting them, lifting them up, but also when you see mistakes, when you see things that will kill somebody, bring correction, bring rep- you know reprimand them and bring rebukes to that situation with all patience and with teaching. You know, it's not a, it's not just a because I said so. No, there's a teaching behind it. There's a doctrine behind it. There's a reason that we don't do what we do. You know, what's interesting? Even God was never a because I said so, God. God always laid out the reasons why he didn't want his children to disobey him and all the things that would happen if they did disobey him. But then he showed them all the things that would happen. Here's what I'll do if you obey me. Here's what'll happen to your families. Here's what'll happen to your finances. Here's what'll happen to your bodies is that these things will come to pass. If you don't obey, here's the things that will end up happening to you. He gives them also teaching along with his instruction. Look at that. Rebuke, express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or actions. Sharp, so one is gentle, one is sharp. To reprove is gentle correction and if people don't receive the reproof that they get, then there's a rebuke that's that's more harsh or it's, it's heavier, it's heavier. So notice what he said here. The time is coming when people will not endure healthy teaching. So what Paul was prophesying is there's coming a time when there will be extremely unhealthy teaching in the body of Christ. There's coming a time where there will be extremely unhealthy teaching in the body of Christ. And if you looked at the way people's spirit man is receiving the teaching and what it's doing to them, if they were a parent of an actual child, and that's what they were feeding their child's body, Do you realize child protective services would come and call them an unfit mother or father and take their children away from them if that was in the natural? The way that some leaders are feeding the spirits of people, they would be considered an unfit mother or father that is actually abusing the children and their children would be taken away. And that's what Paul's saying. It's an unhealthy teaching, unhealthy, unhealthy. And it actually destroys the body of Christ. And so here's the problem. Paul is giving Timothy instruction and a warning so that that would never happen in Timothy's ministry. That's, that's it right there. Brit's, Brit's bringing out, you hear things like this in the church all the time. Britt said, it's okay. You don't have to change. God loves you just the way you are. And, and see, that's a mixture of truth that is damaging. Because although God loves you the way you are and is calling you into the kingdom, he doesn't expect you to stay the way you are. Come as you are is the way you come. You do come as you are. I like how uh, it's been said in the past, you can't change your life and then come to Christ. You have to come to Christ and then he'll change your life. In fact, I want you to put that in the the comment section. You don't change your life and come to Christ. You come to Christ and he'll change your life. Because how can, let me ask you a question. How can can a dead man change their life? I'll deal with that, Marie. She said, I hear a lot of that's judging. You're judging people. I'll deal with that in a minute. But how can a dead person change their life? And the Bible says that you were dead in trespasses and in sins. So you're not alive before you come to Jesus. How How can a dead man even have an understanding that they're dead? See, that's not how it works, and the Bible teaches that. That's why we have to be brought from death unto life. You don't change your life and come to Christ. You come to Christ, and he changes your life. So you do come as you are. Here's the thing. Watch this. You do come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. You do come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. There's a problem, though. If you can sit in a church for two years living in total sin, And never feel the conviction to change. There's a massive problem. And this message needs to be shared, by the way. You guys need to share this today because this needs to be heard all around the world. There's a problem if you can sit in a church and hear the preaching and teaching every single week for two years and never feel the the conviction to change your life. Well, you know, God God loves me as I am. He knows my heart. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. Come as you are, don't stay as you are. Look what Paul said. There's coming a time people will not endure healthy teaching anymore. So what will they do? Look what it says. They'll have itching ears. What does it mean to have itching ears? They'll have ears that want to hear a certain kind of teaching. That's what Paul calls unhealthy. I have ears that want to hear a certain kind of teaching. And I'm looking for teachers that'll scratch these ears with that kind of teaching that I want to hear. Paul describes it. What does that mean? What kind of teaching? Teachers, they'll accumulate to themselves teachers that will suit their own passions. And it's talking about fleshly passions and fleshly desires. Fleshly passions and fleshly desires teachers that will say it doesn't matter what you do it only matters what Christ did and there's a ton of teachers saying that today and preachers it doesn't matter what you do it only matters what he did it's not about you it's about him hallelujah that's not what the bible teaches at all it's not about you and your actions about it's about Jesus and his blood no that's not true especially after you're saved It's not true at all. And I'll show it to you from the word of God. It does matter what you do. Your actions do matter. Christ is expecting something from you. God is expecting something from you as a believer. And so I want want you to see this. Paul prophesied the day is coming where people will just start gathering to themselves and it'll be super popular. You know why? Because people want to live in a carnal mentality and in a fleshly way. They want that. It feels good to the flesh. It's one of those um, type of messages that say you can have your cake and eat it too. Oh, because I can be saved but still do everything that's pleasing to my flesh? This is awesome. This is amazing. I can still be saved and go to church and get drunk every weekend and party? This is awesome. I can get saved and go to church every week and still sleep with my girlfriend? This is awesome. That's the kind of thing I want to be a part of. Yeah, because it's not. And it sounds right, doesn't it? Because it's it's, it's a deception. And so it sounds right. Yeah, man, this is great you know, because it isn't about me. It's about Jesus. I mean, this whole religion is about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about what he did on the cross. Hallelujah. He shed his blood for me. And now his blood has, and I'm, I'm washed in his blood. And now it's not about me. It's about him. No, that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. Do you know that Jesus even taught that before he died? Before he shed his blood, was buried and resurrected and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus taught like I'm teaching right now before he died. Before he died. Let me show it to you before I I finish with um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. John chapter 14. You hear me read this on the broadcast and the podcast all the time. This is Jesus talking. Listen to what he says. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will then be loved by my father and then I will love him and manifest myself to him. So notice, isn't this, this blows people's theological mind to read the words of Jesus in John 14, whoever has my commandments and obeys them or keeps them, that's the only proof that he loves me. That's the proof Jesus is saying. And when I see the proof that he loves me, then my father will love him. That's verse 21, John fourteen twenty-one. Then my father will love him and then I will love him and manifest myself to him. John fourteen twenty-one. red letters, the words of Jesus. He's looking for people who love him and prove it by obeying his written word. And he said, when I see people like that, then my father will love him and then I'll love him and then I'll manifest myself to him. So catch this. Not everybody is qualified to receive the manifestations of Christ in their life. That blows people's minds. Write it in the comments. Not everyone is qualified to receive the manifestations of Christ. You say, why is there such a great divide? Between how Christians look. Why are some Christians always going from crisis to crisis, problem to problem, and other Christians seem like they're on cloud nine all the time? Because God does not show his favor the same way to every person. This is a strong message today. I'm giving you the meat. That's why I know I can give it to you because you guys are, are mature. You wouldn't be on this broadcast. God is looking for people who obey his word. And when they obey, according to John 14, 21, Christ said, then I will love them and I will manifest myself to them. One translation says it this way, then I will love them and I will reveal myself to them. So not everyone is gonna walk in daily manifestations of Christ because not everybody's willing to do what Jesus said. And so Paul deals with that. Paul says, they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Listen, and then they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let me let me give you one of those myths. It doesn't matter what you do, it only matters what Jesus did. Myth. That's a myth. It does matter what you do. In fact, You know, one of the the phrases that you hear people say all the time that are, you know, in what we call the hyper grace movement, the greasy grace movement, I've called it, is that they always say, if you talk like I'm talking right now and preach like I'm preaching right now, you know what they say? Well, sounds to me like you're into works, brother. Sounds like you got works going on. You're, You're trying to get your salvation by works. No, you need to understand that you can't obtain salvation through good works. The Bible teaches that. So it's not by anything that you do that you receive salvation. Come as you are. And then Christ changes you. But after he changes you, he does expect works. And if you think he doesn't, read the entire book of James because that's what it's about. Show me your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. It does matter what you do. Your works do matter. Jesus just said they mattered. And I'm going to show you more in a moment from Jude and from Revelation. It does matter what you do as a child of God. And so here Paul's warning them, don't get involved in this uh, wicked and unhealthy teaching in the body of Christ where they teach you you can do whatever. Yeah, AJ says the same thing. Well, brother, works didn't get you saved, so then how can you lose your salvation by works? Because God has expectations for you. God's not so foolish as people are. God's not a fool that he blesses the obedient with the disobedient. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. And I'm going to show you that from the from the scripture in a moment. But it matters what you do as a child of God. Your works in the kingdom matter. How you conduct yourself in the kingdom matters. What you do to obey the word of God matters. And it's a demonic prophetic teaching. In fact, this, this and what I'm going to talk to you about, this entire hyper grace movement this hyper grace, it doesn't matter what you do, you know, once you get saved. I mean, I've, I've heard it taught to the to the degree that it's impossible, like, like Christians, like sin is not even a thing for Christians anymore. I've heard it taught to the degree that now, because the blood of Jesus becomes a filter, so God, when he looks at you, he's just always looking at you through the filter of the blood of Jesus and that your actions no longer matter. That is the furthest thing from the truth that the Bible could ever teach. Bible doesn't teach it. They're taking things completely out of context. Do you know what they say? You know, like 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, this blows my mind how anybody can be this uh, obtuse. But you, you look at 1 John 1, 9. Let's go there. I'll read it to you because it blows my mind. By the way, these were letters written by John there were no chapters in the letters when they were written. There were no verses in the letters. It was a letter like you and I would write. or Same way you'd write an email, you know, he wrote, he wrote a letter. And in the first one, he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our, of us our, of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And cleanse us. Say that you see that. First, I want to, to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all impurities. If we confess our sins, you know what they say. Well, that's not written to Christians, brother. That's written to Gnostics. That's written to um, other people. Not it's it's not uh, it's not to Christians. The entire letter is written to Christians. They say, well, he never says my brothers or my little children in the first chapter. He only starts saying that in the second chapter. There were no chapters in the original letter it was just a letter so you know that'd be like saying if i wrote you a letter and then and then said um, told you told you like gave you instructions of something i wanted you to do in the first paragraph but i didn't actually say your name until the second paragraph and then you went around and argued to everybody well i didn't have to do that you know because he didn't write the first paragraph to me because my name wasn't in it he was actually starting to write to me in the second paragraph because that's where my name showed up no that's stupid that's stupid, like, logic. It, it's one letter written to Christians that were no chapters, no verses, and he's instructing Christians. And that's what he's talking to them about. Christians, if you sin, I mean, you wouldn't even do that to your wife or husband. Think about that. If, if you made a mistake and, and you offended your wife or husband, you're not going to say, well, you know, we're in a covenant of marriage that can't be broken, you know, so easily. So just because I, I lied to you or just because something happened, you know, we're still married, you would still apologize. You would still apologize to your wife or husband if you made a mistake. It, <laughs> there's a difference between losing your covenant and losing your fellowship. You can lose your covenant, but you can also lose your fellowship. You can also lose your fellowship. And so when you sin or you break God's law, it's important to do what the Bible says and repent of your sin. He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But they've skewed the word of God so in such a crazy way. I'm going to give you a book to read at the end too that will really be a blessing to you. They'll wander off into myths. Your actions don't matter. What you do doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not true. And Jesus said they matter. So listen to this. Sound teaching. That's healthy teaching. Look at the book of Jude right before Revelation. It's only got one chapter, but I want to read to you the fourth verse. Actually, I'll read to you the third and the fourth verses of um, the book of Jude. Listen to this. This this heading in this this, uh, chapter is headed as judgment on false teachers. Judgment on false teachers. Listen to this. Beloved, Jude 1, 3, and 4. Beloved, though I was very eager... To write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why? Why did he feel it necessary to change what he was going to write about? He explains why. He said, I was just going to write to you about salvation in my letter. But now, now that I've seen what's going on, I'm going to actually change the subject matter of my letter and write to you about contending for the original faith that was delivered to the saints. And here's why, verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our, of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You see that? Look, if that's not a a description of what's going on in the body of Christ with with doctrines just like this hyper grace, you know what the Bible calls it? Doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. And I'll explain to you why, why why it is that in a moment. It says, certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. That's exactly what's happening right now is that people all through the body of Christ are perverting the grace of God and doing what Paul prophesied would happen is that they're they're teaching things that what people want to hear, things that suit their own passions, that cause them to wander off from the truth into myths, teaching that suits their own fleshly carnal passions and wander off into myths. The Bible says that these are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's demonic. It's demonic. Listen, the writing in Jude explains why his readers should aggressively defend the truth. As predicted, immoral men had crept into the membership of the first century churches and Jude describes them as ungodly, accusing them of claiming that God's grace allowed them to live an immoral life. According to Jude, they even rejected the fact that Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority and Lord. And it seems that these apostates believed that it was acceptable to give in to the body's evil desires. So that's the exact same thing that's happening today. The exact same thing that was happening when Jude wrote a letter to the first century church is the same thing that's happening today. And God says through the Holy Spirit that it is ungodly to believe this way ungodly men and women began to teach a perverted grace that turns the grace of God into sensuality and denies the master and Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, it's an unhealthy teaching that will destroy the body of Christ. And let me tell you, I have watched it destroy churches. I have watched it destroy, uh, local churches. I've had pastors that have talked to me I've had pastors that have talked to me and said, Brother Ted, listen. And the the conversation's always the same. Brother Ted, listen, I've had um, members of my church that have gotten involved in that hyper-grace teaching. And what, now let me show you something. Remember this and write it down. Remember this and write it down. The way that you can tell if a teaching or a doctrine is from God or not, is by the fruit that that teaching produces. You need to put that in the comments. The way that I can tell if a teaching is from the Lord or not is by the fruit it produces. The way that I can tell if a teaching is from God or not is by the fruit it produces in people's lives. Put that in the comments and never forget it. Never forget it. That's it, Caleb. The way you can tell if a teaching is from God or not is from the fruit that it produces in the people's lives that believe it and that, that live it. And so I started to look at the fruit. I, I started to look immediately at the fruit. I said, well, tell me. And, I, and then every pastor that's that's brought this to me as I've traveled, I've asked them the same thing. Well, what's what's happened with the people? What's happened with the people? And here's here's the end result of the teaching. Well, you know, they got into this hyper grace teaching and they came to me and these are some of the things that their church members said to their pastors after getting into this hyper grace teaching. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have to be faithful to church anymore because you know, it's not about what I do. It's more about my relationship. It it has nothing to do with, you know, what I have to do for the Lord and it has more to do with just, you know, his grace, you know, his grace over my life. When going to church faithfully is actually a command in scripture. Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of some. But as you see the day of the Lord approaching, gather all the more, not the less, gather more. Attending church faithfully is a command of scripture. It's it's not a suggestion or something that you do because you're doing God a favor. It's a command of scripture. Do not gather less, gather more. So people come. In, well, brother, we don't, pastor, we don't feel we need to be faithful to attend church anymore, you know, because, you know, we're under grace. And, and so what do they do? I asked them, what, what's happened to them? Well, they stopped attending faithfully and started attending about once a month, then once every two months. Now they're not in church anymore. Well, wow, what, what, a, great, what a great production of fruit from the teaching of hyper grace. I'll give you a perfect example. I, we were holding a tent meeting my father was put up his tent in Lexington, Kentucky, and there was a guy on the property that was homeless that every, every night set up like a pup tent with a sleeping bag on the property. The tent was on the field, and um, he, he would sleep there, and finally on the last night, we saw him come under the tent and come to the altar and give his life to Jesus Christ, and when we were doing follow-up talking to the guy afterwards... Uh, we were talking about, isn't it wonderful you got saved and everything? He said, well, it's actually, uh, it's not my first time serving the Lord. He said, actually, I was um, rededicating my life to God tonight. I, and we, we got the story. I said, really? Yeah. He said, um, when I was younger, I got saved in a revival service. And then I, I um, he said, I got called to preach. I got called into the ministry. He said, so I, I started to attend a Bible school. I actually moved to Bible school. And he said, um, when I was in Bible school, uh, new Christian, he said, I'd gotten delivered from drugs and I got delivered from alcohol, got saved and went to start to learn to become a, a minister of the gospel. He said, when I got to, to Bible school, there were several uh, students that came up to me on a Friday and said, Hey man, you going to go out with us. We're going to go out. We're going to hit a bar or two. Uh, he said, I got some weed and stuff. And he was completely confused. He was like, hold up. He's like, I thought I thought we don't do this stuff anymore now that we're saved. I mean, remember this baby Christian. Baby Christian. He said, I thought, I thought we don't do this stuff anymore now that we're saved. They said, Oh no, man, you don't understand the word. You know, we're kings and priests. This is what he told us. We're kings and priests. You know, we're under the grace of God. We're, we're not under that old law anymore where it's all rules and regulations. You know, we're we're kings and priests with God. And we're, you know, we're we're under grace now. And and so, just like Paul said. An unhealthy teaching. He went with them, being deceived by their teaching to him, a false, hyper-grace teaching, went to the bars, and then he, and he told us later, he said, we did it often. He said, it ended up happening that I, I got back um, addicted to, to drugs again, got back addicted to alcohol again, dropped out of uh, Bible school, stopped serving the Lord, and he, he said, I moved back home. He said, but I don't have anything. I became homeless. Oh, what a, what a wonderful... What a wonderful fruit that was produced in that young man's life by hyper-grace teaching. That it doesn't matter what you do. That it doesn't matter how you live. That, that your choices don't govern you know, anything about your life. or your. That's exactly what they become, Marie. A stumbling block, the Bible says. And Paul warned against that to the Corinthian church. Don't become a stumbling block to other believers that are newer to faith or weaker in faith than you are. And that's exactly. And those those students, if they've not repented, will we'll answer to God for that. They'll answer to God for that because the Bible actually says it is better that a millstone, a huge millstone was hung around your neck and you be cast into the sea than for you to cause God, one of God's little ones to stumble or fall. The Bible says that. It, it, it would be better for you to drown in the ocean that's what that's what the Bible's saying. It would be better for you to hang a cement millstone or a rock around your neck and drown in the ocean, than it would be for you to cause one one of God's little ones to stumble and fall. That's how much God loves His children. If you, He's for His children, and so if they don't repent for that, they'll they'll answer to God for that. There will be judgment for it. But it's a demonic thing. What a wonderful thing the grace message produced in that young man's life was saved filled with the Holy Ghost, on his way to preaching the gospel, and he got to Bible school around people with this unhealthy doctrine, drug him back into drug addiction and alcoholism, and ultimately out of Bible school and destroyed his life and became homeless. What a wonderful fruit that was produced through that false demonic teaching, and that's why the Bible says it's the doctrines of devils, doctrines of devils. Any teaching Listen to me when I say this and you write it in the comment section and never forget it. Any teaching that makes you comfortable living in sin is a demonic teaching. Any teaching that makes you comfortable with living in sin is a demonic teaching. Write it in the comments and never forget it. Any teaching that makes you comfortable living in sin is a demonic teaching And that's what the devil wants for your life, to pervert the truth with a little bit of truth and a lot of deception so that it sounds good going in and you come out dead on the other side. Sounds good going in, you come out dead on the other side. Perversion of God's grace. Now look at Jesus. Jesus, who is our ultimate example. I mean, you can't, it's so funny to me. There have been people that have actually suggested Jesus revelation because revelation is progressive. That Jesus revelation was not as full, fleshed out, and developed as Paul's revelation. <laughs> there are people that actually suggest that. Well, you know, if Jesus would, if Jesus didn't have the epistles, Jesus <laughs> as if Jesus was not God. <laughs> It's so stupid. Well, you know, if Jesus would have had Paul's letters, you know, he probably wouldn't have said some of the things he said. No, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus is the exact representation of the nature and character of God on the earth. He's not separate from his father. He was not separated from the Holy Spirit. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. People are so foolish. Well, you know, then God gave us Paul's writings. You know, Paul had a great revelation on grace. Oh, yeah, he did. But then people came in and perverted his revelation on grace. And they're still perverting it today. And so Jesus comes back after the Gospels in the book of Revelation. Jesus shows up again to the church then and the seven churches in Asia Minor. And I want you to see what Jesus said. Because this blows anybody's foolish teaching about works versus grace out of the water. I don't know how you read these passages that I'm getting ready to read and still have a stupid understanding that grace is this hyper grace, greasy grace, grace covers every action uh, thought process that is damaging the body of Christ, bringing people out of the, the, the kingdom and killing them. Listen to what Jesus said. And I'm going to read to you from uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to see this. I'll start reading with verse number 1. And I'll read uh, through verse 5. Jesus is saying this with red letter words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. That's an actual church. He's writing to actual believers. Not like some, you know... Ethereal, you know, uh, group of spirits that will exist sometime in the millennium. This is actual believers. He's writing to in Ephesus, which, by the way, is in Turkey, the country of Turkey. Uh, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, he's saying, "This, these are my words. I'm Jesus. I know your works." Verse two. I know your what? I know your works. Well, brother, Jesus doesn't look at our works. It's not about works. It's not about works. It's about grace, brother. It's about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He shed his blood. Now we're under grace. This is Jesus who shed his blood, who still has nail pierced hands. You understand? This is him talking to the church, to the believers in the church. I know your works. He didn't say, I know my grace. He said, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake for you have not grown weary. Now look at verse four. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works. Do the what? Do the works, the works that you did at first. If not, look at this now. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So notice, even Jesus did not believe in the hyper grace, greasy grace message that Paul prophesied would come. Jesus didn't even believe it, nor did he actively operate in it. He showed back up to a literal church in Ephesus and told them that if you do not go back to your original works, to the things that you did for me, the things that you did, I will come back. He said, if you don't, if not, you know what that is? A warning. It's a warning and it's a threat. That's a threat. If you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'm gonna do some. I'm gonna do this. That's a threatening word. So it's not Jesus saying, "Well, you know, I understand that you're only human. I understand everybody. Everybody's sin." It's like my my roommate told me in Bible school. I repent every night because you know we sin every day, and sometimes we don't even know we sin, which is like the stupidest thing you could ever say. It means the Holy Spirit's not working anymore if that's what you can actually do with your life. If you can sin and not know you're sinning then the Holy Spirit has quit his job and he's no longer around. You can't sin as a believer and not know you're sinning. That's what the Holy Spirit's here for. He convicts the world of sin and the righteous of their righteousness. Jesus didn't even operate that way. He said, if you don't go back to the works that you did at first, repent and go back to the works you did at first for me. I will come back here and I will remove you out of my church. I'll remove your lampstand from among the churches. You see that? Jesus is saying that there will be a consequence For these actions you're taking, there'll be a consequence for you not obeying my word. There'll be a consequence for you not being faithful to my commands. There will be a consequence. And so understand Paul prophesied and you need to avoid this at all costs. I'll tell you, there's a great book that you should read when you get the, get the, get a moment. It's called Hyper Grace by Dr. Michael Brown. I, I recommend it to every person, especially in this generation with all of this false teaching going around, it's one of the best books that I've read in the last five years. And it outlines all of the teaching that's that's being spewed into the body of Christ in the Western world and, uh, and shows how scripturally it is not even, it's unsound, it's dangerous, and as Paul said, it's unhealthy doctrine. By Dr. Michael Brown. Michael Brown, Letty. Hyper Grace is the name of the book. And it's a demonic, it's doctrines of devils because it's it's an attempt of the enemy to destroy the body of Christ or to take people out of the body of Christ before Jesus comes. Now, I want to show you, I want to show you this because this will stir your faith all through the Bible. And this is how I'm going to end the broadcast. All through the Bible, God promises that when we obey his commands, when we obey his words, there will be supernatural blessing that will accompany our obedience. Look at Job 36, 11. If they listen and serve God, they'll spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. Deuteronomy, I mean, you read Deuteronomy 28, verses one through 14. It's an outline of the blessing of God. For the people that obey God's word. Listen to this. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. You'll be blessed in the city and in the field, in the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, increase of your herds, young of your flock, basket, your kneading bowl. You'll be blessed when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to be defeated before your face. They'll come out against you in one way and flee before you in seven ways. He'll command the blessing upon you in your barns and all that you undertake. He'll bless you in the land that your Lord, your God is giving you. I mean, you go right through verse 14. All of the blessings that come upon People who obey God. Look at Matthew six thirty-three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Psalm eighty-four. The Lord our God is a sun and shield, and He bestows more favor and honor, and no good thing will He withhold from those that walk uprightly. If you're Isaiah one nineteen, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Notice God has prerequisites for His blessing. He doesn't randomly bless people. He doesn't sovereignly bless people. He says, if you'll obey my word, then I will bless you. I will set you high above the nations of the earth. I will make sure that you overflow. I'll make sure that your family is blessed. I'll make you sh- sure that you spend your days in prosperity and your years in pleasures. I'll make sure that everything you touch is blessed. I'll make sure that everywhere you go, you're blessed. That your the, the economy of your nation will not govern your blessing. I'll make sure that corporations can't govern your blessing. I'll make sure that secret societies and people making deals behind closed doors can't affect your blessing. I'll make sure that everything that is in your life will be blessed by my mighty right hand if you obey my word. Obedience brings the blessing of God. I said it in, on Twitter the other day. I said, you know, we need the more you have, this is what I tweeted, the more that you have, the more humility is necessary. Because you always have to remember that nothing you have was gotten because of your abilities. It was gotten because of your obedience. Nothing you have was obtained by your abilities. It was obtained by your obedience. The Bible says in Psalm 75, verses six and seven, promotion does not come from the east or the west or the south, but promotion comes from the Lord and he alone decides who will rise and who will fall. Who will rise? How can I know? Let me finish with this one verse, 2nd Chronicles 16:9. How can I make sure? Here's the question we're going to finish with. How can I make sure that I'm in position in 2020 for God to co- to make me rise and not allow me to fall? Cuz promotion doesn't come from your boss or your company. It comes from the Lord. He decides who will rise. So the question becomes this, how can I be the one that he decides I will rise? How can I be the one? How can I put myself in the position where God will see me and say, he's the one I'm going to make rise. She's the one I'm going to make rise. How do I do that? Second Chronicles sixteen nine gives us a clue. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The eyes of the Lord. So look at this. God's eyes are searching for these kinds of people. He is constantly like a sonar, searching for these, he's sweeping the earth, searching for these kinds of people. People whose hearts are loyal to him. People whose hearts are loyal to him. And if you will make sure That your heart is loyal unto God. What does that mean? Well, that's why I read you John 14, 21, because Jesus defined it. Those who have my commandments and keep them are the ones that love me. And if they will, my father will love them. I will love them and I'll manifest myself to them. If you'll do that throughout 2020, God's eyes will find you on a daily basis. He will show himself strong and mighty on your behalf on a daily basis making sure your heart is turned toward him. You'll put yourself in position to be grabbed by the mighty right hand of God and lifted high above the nations of the earth. Lifted head and shoulders above this generation in this world. God will bless you, he'll bless your family, he'll bless your children, he'll bless what you put your hands to do, he'll bless your home, he'll bless your mental health, he'll bless your physical body, he'll bless your ministry, He'll bless your business. Everything you do, God will bless. If you'll put yourself in position to be blessed by God. Let me just encourage you. God doesn't ever randomly. Amen. That's a great, (laughs) that's a great prayer, Marie. May I be a beep on his radar. May I be a blip on his sonar. May God find me every single day. Faithful to his word. May he find me every single day. Faithful because he'll not withhold any good thing from people who walk uprightly. Not any good thing. Nothing will be withheld from you. God said, He promised it in His word. He doesn't withhold good things from His children. He does not make a plan for you to struggle. He makes a plan for you to be lifted high so He can point His finger at you and say, This is what I do with my children that are obedient. He will make you a spectacle on the earth. God, and in fact, that's the final declaration of faith I want you to write in the comments. God will make me a spectacle of blessing upon the earth. Write it in the comments before we pray. God will make me a spectacle of blessing upon the earth. God will make me a spectacle of blessing upon the earth. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for every person watching the broadcast live or on the replay. I pray that you would give them a heart to serve you. Give them a heart to obey your word. Give them a heart to be faithful to your plan and agenda for the earth. I pray in Jesus' name you'll put a new fire in every one of us to serve the Lord without compromise in a generation that's full of compromise. In the mighty name of Jesus, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our families, strengthen our lives to be pleasing to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, somebody shout aloud, amen and put some emoji hands in the comments. Amen. Listen, before 2020 hits, maybe you didn't get a chance to do it yesterday. I want to encourage you right now to sow a strong seed of faith. I had a great, it, it moved my heart yesterday. It moved my heart. I got a message from a friend of ours in California who said, after the broadcast came to an end yesterday, my wife and I were crying and knew that the Lord was moving on our hearts to sow and partner with you to sow $1,000. And they sowed it yesterday. And they said, said, although it was a big step of faith for us, we don't want to keep hearing about being large, lavish givers and not be one ourselves. We don't want to be in a position where we keep hearing about large giving and don't be a part of ourselves. I commend that family. I commend them for stepping out in faith. I told them, I remember when Carolyn and I first sowed our first $1,000. It meant a lot to us. It, It felt like a huge leap into faith. But I want to encourage you because there's people that are watching. God wants to bless you. He wants to take you into overflow in 2020 like you've never seen. But it takes that step of faith just like our friends in California did yesterday and others have done through the week. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith today. Something that moves your heart by faith and sow a seed into the kingdom of God. If you're watching on Periscope or Facebook, you can use hashtag donate right now to sow your seed. If you're on YouTube or any of those platforms, even listening on the podcast, you can go to miracleword.com and you can sow a seed on the website. If you would like to use Cash App, you can use the cash tag MWgive, MWgive. And then of course on PayPal, info at miracleword.com. But I want to encourage you right now, every person that's watching, take that step of faith. You've got to set yourself up for the greatest 2020 that you've ever seen. My wife and I are doing the same. I would never tell you to do something that we're not doing. We always take the last month of the year to sow the largest seed and, and set ourselves up for the greatest upcoming year because we want God, same way I just talked to you, I want to be a blip on his sonar. I want him to find me. I want him to find me faithful. I want him to find me obedient. And I'm going to eat the good of the land in Jesus' name. And I declare you're going to eat the good of the land in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm, at, I'm declaring it. You know, we, we said 2020, it's going to be a year of favor, extreme favor, violent increase, expedited favor. I'm declaring credit cards will be paid off. Student loan debt will be paid off. Cars will be paid off. Houses will be paid off. That you'll walk in the overflow and have more than enough. No more paycheck to paycheck. No more struggling to get by and scraping the bottom of the barrel. You'll be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. You will be blessed. So take a moment right now and sow a seed by faith. I want to encourage you to make a push for this because it's important what's happening in this new year. I want to encourage those of you to prayerfully consider partnering with Carolyn and myself. We're encouraging people at a minimum of $85 a month or $1,000 a year or more, whatever you feel to do. We have many people standing with us at $100, $200, $300 a month, whatever you feel to do, and stand with us to see a generation change before Jesus comes back and before it's too late. I refuse to let my generation be bombarded with this false doctrine that would try to pull them from Christ without boldly proclaiming Jesus has a plan to set this generation free. And so I want to say that I love every one of you and thank you for every person that's sowing seeds into this ministry. We're getting your messages. We're getting your seeds, and we say thank you. Thank you. 2020 is going to be the best year you've ever seen in Jesus' name. I love you guys so much, and thank you. Don't forget, coming up this Friday night, 6 o'clock, Miracle Word Kids live stream. Uh, Sign up for the magazine if you haven't yet, MiracleWord.com. Love you too, Caitlin. I love you guys very much, you and Mike. And uh, there's my boy. Come here, boy. Run, 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 run. There's my boy. We're getting ready to go on an airplane in just a little bit. And uh, going home to Florida, to your bedroom, to your house. You see yourself on the TV. Wave to everybody. Tell them you love them. (laughs) We love you. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget, we'll be back tomorrow morning, 10.30 a.m. Love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Love you guys.